I'm Helen Razor, but that's deeply irrelevant. What is relevant is that you're listening to 3CR on, what's that frequency again, dear? 855, I told you, Helen. 855. And what is relevant is that you're not listening to that other crap. So well done. CR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Hello and good morning. Welcome to Thursday Breakfast. Good morning, Grace. Good morning, Fiona. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning. Um, so 3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Burrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the continued resilience of the First Nations people in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. So, guys, what do we have on this morning? Looks like a fairly... Jam-packed, interesting program, I think. We've got a range of topics. So we'll be speaking with Scott Maguire, who's from the School of Media and Communications at University of Melbourne shortly, about the future of advertising in our cities. Um, And Yeah, and then we have uh, Daniel Ajak, who's coming in um, to the studio, which will be really exciting. So he's a criminal defence lawyer um, and was in the media recently um, in relation to um, the uh, South Sudanese, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, stuff that's going on. So in, um, the sort of media... Uh, why am I losing all my words, Grace? So he, he's, a, <laughs> he's a positive, he's an example yeah, yeah. of... A, contribute a positive a, a positive member of that community yeah and it's like we know there are lots of you know positive people in that community it's 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 exactly. the whole issue has forced us to make these ridiculous you know prove something that we don't need to prove exactly um yeah 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 but that's awesome putting words because i wasn't putting words so thanks no <laughs> <worries. I'll be laughs> um and then what do we have uh, then I'm chatting with Fred Geisha, who is a producer of um, an Indigenous music and arts festival that's happening at, on St Kilda Foreshore in a couple of weeks on Saturday, 3rd of February. So it's a day of um, music and art and and so forth. So that that would be fun. That sounds really positive and um, community oriented. So that would be interesting to learn more about that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we've got Shakira Hussein, um, who will come on. Um, and talk about the gentrification of Melbourne's northern suburbs. So she's actually talked about this uh, quite a lot in the past. Um, and maybe we can ha- also have a chat with her on her research on the weaponization of food, uh, which will be interesting. Um, and then after that, we have Yael from uh, Allies Decolonizing, uh, just to chat quickly about um, their gig on uh, Saturday. Um, called Decolonize Now Fundraiser, where the funds go to the warriors of the Aboriginal resistance ahead of Invasion Day. Mm, that sounds great. The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Centrelink robo-debts, for just one example. This is a public service. 
Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50am on Monday Brekkie for Over the Wall. Remember, Nanox's a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy NAIDOC! Have you heard about the Melbourne Electric Vehicle Expo? Find out what's happening with electric cars, bikes, skateboards, scooters, buses and more. It's at the Melbourne International Karting Complex in Todd Road, Port Melbourne on Sunday, February 18th. Come along and experience what it's like to drive or ride an electric vehicle. Attend focus seminars and tech talks. Entry is free. To find out more, go to evexpo.org.au. The Alternative Technology Association is a proud supporter of 3CR. Lest we forget, join us to commemorate the 176th anniversary of the execution of the two freedom fighters, Tanaminawai and Moorbohina, at the Tanaminawai and Moorbohina Monument, corner of Victoria and Franklin Street, Melbourne. Do you know the names of the first men hanged here in Melbourne town? Join us midday, Saturday the 25th January 2018 and then walk with us to their last resting place in the Queen Victoria markets. The ceremony will be broadcast live on community radio 3CR, 3cr.org.au. Far from their ancestral homes down in Van Diemen's land They knew their lives would be in vain if they didn't take a stand I got the red-eyed unemployed workers' desperation blues Why does a wealthy country like Australia allow its unemployed workers to struggle in poverty without trying to create jobs? You may well ask. Unemployed Workers Fight Back is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union program, part of the sewer program on every second Friday of the month, 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Our social security system is being defunded, privatised and dismantled and the poor and vulnerable are being criminalised and trampled upon. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union is focused on helping unemployed and underemployed workers deal effectively with the job agencies, empowering them to fight back for their rights. Remember, Unemployed Workers Fight Back 
every second Friday of the month, 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. Okay, welcome back. So now we have um, Daniel Ajak who's joined us in the studio. Hi, Daniel. Morning, Sherry. How are you? Uh, good, thanks. Um, so you were in the media recently. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Uh, yes. Um, uh, after uh, after the recent uh, upbeat uh, by the media and the African gangs, uh, one of my colleagues, Anand uh, Yadonyon, who's a commercial lawyer uh, at Arnold Black Lawyers, uh, contacted me and asked, you know, if I if I was in, interested to do an article with the Herald Sun. Uh, just to highlight uh, the positive role models in the Sassanese community, is sort of a, to give a balance as to you know, as what uh, I guess a different perspective uh, on other young Africans who are doing well, and I say yeah, yeah, I'm more than happy to do so. So uh, uh, Catherine, I think from the from the uh, Herald Sun, who, who's a journalist, contacted me and said, you know, are you, are you keen? And I said, yeah, yeah definitely 100%. Yeah, yeah. So I did the interview, and uh, I didn't, uh, you know, I was, I was quite. Uh, quite stoked to, to see it, uh, you know, uh, yeah. to get up there. Yeah, totally. And uh, then nothing, you know, it wasn't. I was a bit worried might be uh, might be twisted, you know. Mm. But uh, it, it was all I, it was all I was asked for in the interview, and I'm I'm, I'm very grateful uh, for the Herald Sun you know, to share my story and and, and two of my other uh, young Sudanese uh, fellows, you know, who who are doing who are doing well. And, and I'm one I'm one of the you know of the million. There's I'm pretty sure there's plenty out there. Mm. Um, and well, what what so what do you think of uh, what do you think of um, I suppose the the coverage that's been um, happening recently um, and how important I suppose sorry how important is it to have um, sort of more uh, positive coverage I guess in your opinion well it's I mean, you you don't want a you don't want a community is uh, known for its uh, sort of you know, uh, bad vibes. You know, you've, you've also got to you know you've also got to highlight positive vibes. You know, we've got uh, we've got young Sydney's kids. You know, actually one of my cousins is Thomas Dang, who plays for Melbourne Victory. You know, he's playing for Australia under 23s uh, last night in the uh, Asian uh, Championship. So he you know, oh, awesome. that, that should be making front page of the Herald Sun. You know, because these these are these are young Sydney's kids who have come here. It's three and four or five, and made a positive contribution. You know, we've got kids who are playing in the NBA, like Thon Mecca. You know, we've got kids who are playing in the NBL. You know, we've got kids who are playing uh, AFL, getting drafted every year. So, uh, I mean, like, it, you know, if if you, uh, it, it's okay to say uh, when, when when some of the boys, uh, some of the younger Sydney's boys, you know, uh, are getting in trouble. You know, it's okay to say, you know, I've got a group of African youth, you know, going around running rides. Uh, but when you know, when we, uh, when we 
when we're wearing the green flag, you know, uh, doing all we can for Australia, you know, you, you can't highlight that and say, you know, we've got an African youth or Sudanese youth, you know, who are, you know, who are making a contribution to this, uh, to this great nation, you know, which is multicultural. So I think it needs to, uh, the load needs to be shared across the board. Yeah, totally. And um, tell us a bit about your story. Well, I, uh, like many refugees who migrated here, you know, I came here uh, in 2004, uh, in July 2004 with my, with my sister. I was 13 at the time, and she would have been 19 years, you know, so it was, it was pretty tough for uh, my parents uh, uh, to let us come out, you know, just me and my sister, uh, and, you know, take the risk, you know, I, I could have I could easily uh, fell into the trap some of these young uh, some of these young kids had, you know, and, and, and take that risk because like, I'm, I'm the only son. So I sat in Adelaide. I'm an Adelaide boy. I grew up there, went, uh, went to school there, and then finished uni-, uni there. Worked there for a bit before I made uh, the transition to, to Melbourne, you know. Yeah, and how was that transition to Melbourne? I suppose, like, changing well, I, I, huge I, I, cities. <laughs> I just moved from Canberra. That was hard. <laughs> no, no, no. Melbourne's been good to me. It's close to home. You know, I love footy. The footy culture is great. You know, people here are great. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's eight hour drive from uh, from here to uh, from here to I've got mates who live uh, in Panola, so if in my game, so I always drive four hours to rest and then drive four hours back home. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's definitely a place to be. Uh, other than you know all the well, I haven't said that, you know, uh, I was watching ABC last night and, you know, and, and the crime stats have actually, you know, they've reduced and uh, I think it's that crazy, uh, what is it, just there's 0.1% of uh, South, uh, I think, Sassanese uh, people in Australia and only 1.3% are, like, you know, who, uh, who, uh, who, who are offenders, but there weren't, there were more people, you know, born here who committed crimes and... Uh, and people come from overseas, you know. Mm. But great city, good food, you know, and, and the food culture is really great. Like, I enjoy that. Yeah. Um, so going back to, um, so I, I saw some of the stuff with the 730, are you talking about 730 report? Yes. Yesterday. Um, yeah, so uh, where they were looking at, I suppose, more statistical-based um, stuff. Um, and I was, I was just reading on, on Twitter earlier um uh the what's his name who started the african gangs hashtag makamayak yep okay. <laughs> okay african gang <laughs> yeah oh wait what did you what did you think of the african gangs hashtag was it like sort of like a reclaiming of um i suppose the um of that discourse um set up by uh, peter dutton look what well, i uh I'm not going to go too much into it, but I've always, you know, I've always been, uh, like, growing up here, you know, I've been told, you know, uh, the Vietnamese went through it, the Greeks went through it, the Italian went through it, uh, the Chinese went through it, the Scottish went through it, the Irish went through it. But, I mean, like, when, when do we put a stop to it? Like, you know, it can't happen to Sudanese now, and then a few years down the track, you know, a new wave of migrants come, and then it happens to them, and you tell them it happened to Sudanese, you know? Like, we've got to grow up as a society, as a community, and put it in an end, you know? Otherwise, you know, like I can't, you know, I can't be telling the new wave of migrants in ten years, uh, twenty years down the track, say, you know, we, we went through it, you'll survive, you know, it because uh, you know it costs, it costs lives, you know, mm. Mm. It's too costly. And also, um, often who's le- left to pick up the pieces after these media frenzies is um, local communities. So, so for for example, well, now we're going to see, um, you know, that. African uh, different African communities having to pick up the pieces and face more discrimination 
um, and whereas before, for example, with the different Muslim communities, whatever you know that means, it was an imagined thing by um, the media, left to pick up the pieces and also have to face increased discrimination as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely 100%. Look, I, uh, after I left law school, I started off in corporate law, doing intellectual property. And uh, I realised, you know, when, whenever I had breaks, of it in, and I'll go into court, you know, I, uh, or I'll say on a, on a normal casual day and I'll walk into court, you know, I, uh, like 98% of the time, you know, I, I just assume I was a punter. And uh, it's really, you know, and it's not, you know, it's, it's, uh, <coughs> it's got nothing else to do other than, the, mm. you know, the fact, uh, uh, the colour of my skin, because I'm black, you know. I was recently yeah. in Queensland, uh, this is September last year, attending a family member's wedding, and I had a meeting set up in the city with a, with, with a clique of mine who's a lawyer, uh, who's a personal injury lawyer, and just before, before one o'clock, I went, I went to the Melbourne Magistrate Court, you know, to, uh, uh, to just go sit and listen, yeah. I was wearing, I was wearing a pair of Aaron Williams, uh, just dressed casually. I had, I uh, took it off. I went and sat at the back of the court seat, you know, and, and the prosecutor came up to me and said, you know, what's your surname? I said, Mr. Ajax. So he went back through his file loads and flicked through, you know, and he, <coughs> unfortunately, he couldn't find a Mr. Ajax. So he <laughs> came back to me, you know, and he said, I can't find, you know, I said, no, nah, mate, you know, I'm a, I'm a solly, uh, I'm a solicitor, I'm from Melbourne, you know, I'm just here to see how things are done in Queensland. And uh, the poor uh, defence lawyer uh, who's, you know, who's on their feet, um, you know, said to, uh, uh, from legal aid, said to the prosecutor, you know, who's, uh, <coughs> you know, who's, who's, who's this punter, you know, uh, who's, uh, oh, I've got to go back to the office, you know, at 12.30, you know, who's this old mate, because, you know, she's got to go back to her office at 12.30, and she's assumed uh, I was a punter, like, straight away, you know, I was a crook. So, you know, it's, uh, it's things like that that are, uh, that are very disappointed. Uh, and the media doesn't help, you know, if you keep uh, banging you know, on Sudanese youth and, uh, and Africans, uh, like being uh, uh, gangsters, you know, or, 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 you, or you're saying, no, they're causing rights, you know. And, and the, all teenagers go through that. I've gone through that. I've grown out of it. You know, it's, uh, how do we teach these young kids, you know, to tell them, you know, look, mate, you've got to still put your strap on and, and grow up. Mm. Um, and I was, I was looking at a little bit of uh, research as well. Um, uh, last night um, and there, there's like heaps of studies out there but um, like for 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 a lot of young people um, with African backgrounds um, or heritage um, oh, and particularly those who have newly arrived um, one of the like biggest impediments for like I suppose um, settling in at school like it's more of an educational based thing uh, was um, discrimination or, or racism um, so I, I suppose, what, what, what are your, your thoughts on that? Like, yeah, it's, um, it's easy to say, oh, we need to like, blah, blah, blah. But like, I think when you're facing heaps of discrimination at school, uh, so for example, when I was, I was at school, um, I faced heaps of discrimination in terms of like, you know, um, what perceived Arab background, even though um, North African. <laughs> and um, that was, you know, and like some of my friends as well did that and some of them drop, dropped out. So I don't know, like, is that? I, um, after I came here, I went, to, I went to language school to learn English for a year mm. and then I went to public school in year nine and ten, not in Adelaide. And, uh, you know, some of the kids there were... <coughs> Some some of the kids you know weren't weren't keen uh, to get on 
with me and uh, and some other young Africans, you know, or, or migrants at school, you know, and would would uh, would throw racist uh, uh, remarks at us, you know. And when I was growing up in the camp, you know, if someone distracted you, uh, you know, or you felt like you were being bullied, uh, you, you smack them. Like that's that's just the norm, you know. So I, I, I reacted uh, violently to you, know, and, and these kids were keen to get it on as well, so they didn't, um, they didn't hold back. You know, and I went to a few fights, uh, but like, uh, after year 10, you know, I've, I said, you know, I want to go to uni, and, and I realised I just had to learn to walk away from you. It know? uh, doesn't matter what sort of insult it is, you know, you just got to walk away, because uh, the consequences, you know, 10 years, 20 years out on the track is not worth it. You know, I, I'm lucky I didn't, I didn't face the kids' court, you know, off on a fray or, or, or on the salt chart, yeah, uh, and that could have had a massive impact on you know on, on the sort of work I do now, like as a lawyer, you know. So I think uh, maybe telling our young kids, you know, or, or young people, you know, who uh, who go through that, you know, just look 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 ten years and twenty years down the track, you know, and, and those 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 people who, who incite uh, racist remarks against uh, you know uh, against other people, you know, they're not, you know, they uh, they don't represent. Uh, the Australian community, you know, the, the few uh, individuals, you know, who, who are sort of disheartened, you know, and uh, they just, you know, like, you can, you can do better than that, like, you know, you can let it go. Uh, they're looking for attention, and they're looking to set you off, you know, and if you do, uh, you've given them what they've won, you know, and, and the best thing to do is walk away, you know. It's a hard thing, but learn, you know, first time be hard, uh, second time gets easier, and then it gets easier after that. Well, that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, Daniel. We'll have to get you back as well. Um, so that was Daniel Ajak, who's a criminal defence lawyer. Um, cool. I think next we have uh, Fred Geisha, who's a producer of Yaluk Wellam Nagri Festival, uh, Indigenous Music and Arts Festival in St Kilda. Hi, I'm Maurice. And I'm Mario. And we're Chronically, Chronically Chilled. chilled. A program that aims to provide a platform to those living with chronic and invisible illness, as well as exploring topics that impact on our daily lives. Listen to Chronically Chilled, the first Wednesday of every month at 6pm. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3CR.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Welcome back to 3CR Thursday Breakfast Show. Um, on the line, we have Scott Maguire. He is an um, academic at the School of Media and Communications from University of Melbourne. Welcome, Scott. Finally, we, uh, we lined up the phone call. Thanks very much. That's good. Um, now, we're just um, so we're going to have a chat about the paper you released about um, the future of uh, um, advertising in our public spaces and um, digital billboards, so to speak. So, firstly, you, um, you know, we're all familiar with the way that our social, um, the, our, our traffic online is picked up 
um, all tracked by um, third, party, third parties. And then so therefore when we go to social media or when we go to search engines, we have ads that are targeted to our interests and our particular um, our wants. Um, now you're suggesting that this could actually happen in public spaces of, of our cities. Is that, is that correct? I think it is happening in public spaces in our cities. Um, it's really interesting. The US law professor, Jerry Kang, wrote a paper about 20 years ago comparing shopping in a normal store with shopping online. And he said a whole lot of the practices of tracking and tracing that take place online wouldn't be accepted in you know normal shopping activities. But if you look at the way in which mobile devices can track you, if you look at the way in which various forms of surveillance, sensors, cameras, um, connected to analytic tools can track you now. We do have that kind of infrastructure in cities today. It's, it sounds like it's encroaching on our civil, civil liberties. Um, it sounds like where da- lots of data is being collected about us. It, I mean, is, is that, that sounds like a concern. Yeah, look, I think it's, it is a big concern. And because it's grown up so fast, I think that's mm-hmm. one thing that, you know, people... We've sort of seen this system develop very rapidly and we haven't really made any adjustments to, to how we deal with privacy um, or with data. I mean, if you think of something like a photograph, say you take a photograph and you post it onto a social media network like Facebook, what they could do with a photograph, say, seven or eight years ago when people started doing this is really different to what they can do with a photograph now. And it's not just you know, getting all the metadata from it, you know, what camera it was taken from, where it was uploaded, when, when it was taken, but it's also things like um, face recognition, shape recognition. You can actually do optical character recognition so you can read what's in a photograph. So who's going to use that information? Like, are you suggesting it could be used by um, for commercial interests? I think it is being used for commercial interests. I mean, if you look at the scale of the photo archives that companies like Facebook have now, I think it's something like 400 billion photographs and no one would really know. It's an immense data store for them. Mm. And data is like the new oil. So these companies are just gathering data and then they're sifting through it. I don't think they use it to individualise at this stage. But, of course, the other side is not just the commercialisation of public space, but it's just securitisation. And so this data is available also to security agencies under certain circumstances. Uh, you, you talk a little bit about the smart the smart billboard, so that um, ca- like cameras in public spaces will are able to detect like our psycho- psychological type and and target ads on billboards to our particular um, needs, our, our desires or our wants. So, can you just explain the, the smart billboard a bit more? Oh, I mean, this is stuff that's in development now, although there have been some examples released. But, you know, you can put a camera on a billboard so it can tell roughly, you know, what age, what gender, perhaps what ethnic group someone belongs to. What a whole lot of companies, you know, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon are starting to do now is develop, you know, apps that can read images and develop much more detailed psychological profiles based on. So this is one of the ways in which that kind of data is being filtered and, and, you know, it's all about segmentation of the market and so on. Mm. So, so I mean, literally, how would that work, that, that ads would, in public spaces, billboards, the ads on billboards would change depending on the yes. the demographic of people moving through that space? That's exactly right. You know, so they might make an estimate of what this customer's purchasing power was or what this customer's, you know, likely um, market would be and it would present information to them on that basis. I mean, this becomes a really, you know, interesting um, idea and it's sort of part of that 
mode, I suppose, that we have media that's very individualised and customised now. And if we start to think about cities as customisable, we think, oh, that'd be interesting. I'd like to see the things around me on billboards that are of interest to me. But the concern of that is that cities have always been spaces for collective activity and for shared encounters. And they're not always pleasant spaces that you often get confronted with things in cities that you don't agree with or you don't like. They're for engaging with diverse people. So we have this highly customised environment that's simply presenting the same kind of material to different people and they don't share it anymore. Mm. It can really accentuate that problem of, you know, filter bubbles or cocooning that people talk about in online communication. So it, it, this is a problem that's going to be ha- have to be managed and picked up and managed and dealt with by government, I presume, um, that, and that's the next challenge, that's the next step. Well, I mean, I think it, it's something that has to be picked up and managed by people because governments won't do things, you know, especially mm. in relation to large corporations that um, people don't pressure them to do. I mean, I think that the communication infrastructure, the digital infrastructure that's been put into cities now could be used in a whole lot of other ways. I mean, it's, it's an incredible opportunity where you've got this capacity for near zero-cost communication that is, you know, very, very distributed in the sense that lots of people can contribute to public conversations. At present, we're using it in very particular ways, primarily around commercial agendas or around security agendas, and we really need to think more about, well, how do we reappropriate the right to the city for a networked city? Um, we're just going to wrap up our, our discussion. I mean, if listeners want to explore these ideas a bit more, is there a, a book or a, a newspaper article um, that you can point them towards? Well, there was the article in Pursuit, but there, yeah, there is a book I released last year. It was called Geomedia, Network Cities and the Future of Public Space, where we really try and discuss these issues about how digital networking cities is changing both media. There's a new kind of spatialisation of media, mm-hmm. but it's also changing how we inhabit public space. Okay. Sounds like um, it will continue to be an important issue. Thank you very much, Scott, for your time this morning. My pleasure. Okay. Um, so that's surveillance state scariness, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The, with all the stuff that's going on yeah. in um, how easily you can be tracked um, and how easily ta- oh, yeah, ads can be tailored to you by what you're talking about on your phone or who you, who you meet up with and that sort of stuff. And I find that really scary because it leaves no space for not only the private but to do any anything else that's like like avoiding um commercial aspects that's scary it is very scary, scary. i'm very scared <laughs> yeah i feel like our innocence like as people in a community is is being eroded that we're 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 that we're we're all about you know where people we we just it's all about we're, we're part of a market a marketplace and and um or we're we're citizens we're kind of under government surveillance and um, what about just being a community of people, you know, who interact and support each other? Why can't, why, where's our identity? Mm. Why can't identity just be that? Why do we have to be objects of the market or the government? So. Yeah. And also um, another thing is, um, so sort of this, you know, the panopticon type of concept where you sort of self-censor because, you know, you're always being watched. So you're, it actually makes, well, I suppose, according to uh, some like theories, really good uh, law-abiding citizens. I'm putting my um, quotation marks up <laughs> at the moment, <laughs> um, um, which is really scary, the sort of self, self-censoring and because you know you're always being watched. 
No one else is saying The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Centrelink robo-debts, for just one example. This is a public Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50am on Monday Brecky for Over the Wall. Okay, welcome back to 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast Show. On the line we had... We have Fred Gesha, who is the producer of the Yalakut Wheelam Najaji Festival. Welcome, Fred. Morning. Um, so this, uh, this is a, an Indigenous arts and music festival that is um, occurring on Saturday, 3rd of February on the foreshore of St Kilda. It sounds really amazing. You have a combination of art and a live stage with a series of live bands and um, as well as various stalls. Um, so could you just talk about the, the lineup of the music? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, you almost had the name right. It was Yalakut Willem Nagi. Sorry. Festival. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty difficult to say. Um, yeah, it's a pre-family day of um, traditional arts and culture, or contemporary and traditional arts and culture. So we've got a live lineup of great young um, acts and a series of stalls. Uh, with um, cultural activities It's a uh, free family day So it's a, a lot of fun With um, an entertainment for the, for the whole family uh, During the day mm-hmm. So, um, so th- this event has been happening every year How long has it been um, going And, and what, what's been, what was its purpose um, In the beginning uh, So this, uh, this, year, uh, this year coming yeah, Will be the 13th year Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was originally set up to set up a platform for um, to showcase and highlight uh, the traditional owners um, of uh, the St Kilda area. Um, but the, the acts and uh, the, uh, the artists do come from all over the state and um, from interstate as well. Okay. Is there, <clears throat> is there anyone on on sta- on any of the musicians performing on stage that you're particularly excited about? Oh, uh, well, sure. I have no favourites. I love them all. Yeah. Um, but we have some new acts coming up. Uh, a guy called Baker Boy, mm-hmm. uh, who's doing really well on um, Triple J and um, getting a bit of attention. I saw him um, at Woodford and it was so good. Yeah, he, I love oh, Baker yeah. Boy so much. I'm like Sorry. always playing Maruna. <laughs> <laughs> got really excited oh, okay. yeah. and we had to jump yeah, in. Yeah, we were and just tell you um, like, yeah, jumping up and down here. So, <laughs> go on. Okay, no worries. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, so you'll have to come down and, and see him then. Um, totally, uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's um, a great lineup of uh, a, lot, a lot of different styles from hip hop to rock to uh, R&B, a um, bit of reggae. Uh, but well, we, uh, we just wanted to showcase the, the diversity of the indigenous music mm. on the stage as well. So, cool. A little bit of opera happening as well. Opera? Yes, Shantae Basky um, oh. was performing and um, she has done an, um, an opera with uh, Deborah Cheatham. Um, 
Uh, a great singer, a really great singer, mm-hmm. yeah. So had her come down, I think, the year before, and she did some opera, a bit of a surprise for us all, but it, was, it sounded beautiful. Mm. That sounds wonderful. Um, yes. And, yeah, and it sounds like a, like you've got lots of activities for young young kids and teenagers as well, so it's really um, family-friendly as well. Yeah, um, well, we have... Every year we have the uh, Indigenous Hip Hop projects come down and um, they do their workshops and performances in front of the crowd, but the crowd always love to join in. So mm. it's always a lot of fun. So it's a great way to warm the, the crowd up as well. Yep. Um, yeah, some activities. We've uh, got a bit of um, boomerang decoration, so you come down and burn decorations into um, a boomerang. Uh, so I think there's, there's bush toys. Um, of course, we've got the Indigenous Hip Hop Projects, and I've got a couple of exhibitions as well. So they're not held at the ground, but they're, I'll be at galleries at the Thank Hill Town Hall. Mm-hmm. And um, the, there's a French gallery called Alliance on Grey Street, so all part of the, the festival mm-hmm. um, activities. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it'll be a great day. It's normal. Uh, if you're coming down, it's normally pretty hot on that day, so um, mm-hmm. make sure you, people bring um, lots of hats and yeah, uh, yeah sunscreen. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, we get a really great crowd down there. Yeah, sounds fan, sounds yeah amazing. So for people who are listening, where, where can they go to for all the information? Um, well, we have a brochure. Or you might see some posters up around the place. Yeah. Um, but we also have uh, other website that. YWNF.com.au. That's yep. the Yellowcat Wollongong Festival website. Uh, so you can go on there and see the acts, see what times, and see what's happening, mm-hmm. see the locations. Um, so and there will be lots of food stalls as well. So uh, yeah, all the information mm-hmm. will be on the website. All right, that's Saturday, the third of February. Not too, just about a week, just over a week from now. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Thanks so much, Fred, for all your information. Um, good luck. It sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, thank you very much. And we'll no see problem. you there. Yeah. Yeah, come down. See yeah, back boy. And the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. See you, Fred. See you later. The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Centrelink robo-debts, for just one example. This is a public service announcement. Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50am on Monday Bricky for Over the Wall. Decolonise Now, a fundraising event, 6 to 11pm, Saturday 20th of January at The Factory in Richmond. All funds will be of immediate use for the warriors of Aboriginal resistance, in particular their seven days of resistance in the lead-up to Invasion Day and travel costs to the Tent Embassy in Canberra. Performers include Racer Age, Glitter Rats, Black Orchid String Band and more. Tasty West Papuan food will be available for purchase. Be there to show your support. Find it on Facebook.
Decolonise Now fundraising event. Saturday, 20th of Jan from 6 at The Factory, hosted by Allies Decolonising, who are a proud 3CR supporter. Sounds in this clip have been race Why does a wealthy country like Australia allow its unemployed workers to struggle in poverty without trying to create jobs? You may well ask. Unemployed Workers Fight Back is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union program, part of the sewer program on every second Friday of the month, 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Our social security system is being defunded, privatised and dismantled and the poor and vulnerable are being criminalised and trampled upon. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union is focused on helping unemployed and underemployed workers deal effectively with the job agencies, empowering them to fight back for their rights. Remember, unemployed workers fight back every second Friday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Okay, so up next we bring you part of a discussion that took place at the Working Women Get Organised conference in Geelong, held in November last year, looking at gendered violence as an OHS issue. So it features voices from Valerie from the Unemployed Workers Union and Jodie Peskett from the Women's Safety and Rights Organiser. Okay, now this is a really big issue that really needs research and no one's mentioned it. I'm from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Mm-hmm. And um, people who do work for the Dole are not protected properly by OHS at all. So all those half of those are women, of course, at least yep. even more. You're not protected because the government's decided work for the Dole isn't work. And so anything could happen, and people have died, and there's still not enough protection from the government. So all those unemployed people, just babes in the wood, and in terms of. Absolutely. Land for the slaughter, I mean. And yeah. the challenge for this space as well. I'll talk about the thing, the actions we're taking to address this, and that is definitely one of the gaps, absolutely. Because this is based on, our framing here is based on an employment relationship, and if you've got a, a, a government that's getting around that, then you've got challenges. Yep, yep. So, so basically, it's an occupational health and safety issue. It's injuring workers. And what do we do as a union movement? Occupational health and safety is our business. Our business as unions is keeping workers safe. It's about getting them to work and getting them home and making sure they're safe and that they are not injured in the process. So OHS is union business and this is an OHS issue. So this is union business. And on top of that, when we talk about being union, what are the key principles of unionism? What what, what do we say? What are our values as unionists? Stronger together. Stronger together. Collective. Fairness. Justice. Equality. This, so if we're union, this has to be part of what we do and who we are. We have to address this like we would address any other occupational health and safety issue. We've established this union business. So basically what we need is we need WorkSafe must formally recognise gender violence as a serious OHS issue and make employers take it seriously and take actions to prevent it, to protect workers. Um, 
We don't need any changes to the OHS Act for the HSRs in the room. The Act is fine. All we need is WorkSafe to acknowledge it as an occupational health and safety issue and write guidance material about it and start inspecting upon it. So there's no legislation change. We just need WorkSafe to take some action. We also need employers to recognise gender violence as a serious OHS issue and take action to stop injuring workers. So we need um, employers to know that this is a big deal and that they have a duty of care and that they're going to have to start fulfilling that duty of care. So, and the final thing is that unions must understand gender violence and have the capacity and tools to campaign. And part of our work is about capacity building our movement, yourselves, us, Geelong Trades Hall, to be able to start taking action. So, um, there's a whole range of stuff we're doing in this space. Before now, we've, taught, we've thought about gender violence, sexual harassment, sexism um, in the workplace as an equal opportunity issue, right? So if a woman has, um, or predominantly women because there's no protections for LGBTQI plus people, it's even worse. But what happens is a woman reports, I've been sexually harassed at work. And so uh, she's often advised by the union, okay, well, we have to report that to Equal Opportunity Commission and we can pursue that and you can take it through the courts. And we know, one, that that's often a process that damages the victim-survivor more. Um, often it results in them leaving a workplace because it gets so bad. It's a very individualised response to this issue, right? We're saying you as an individual have to take this out. We'll support you to do it. We'll get you the legal stuff, but you have to try and take this through, right? And we know that the courts through which you can take it through don't have the powers of, say, the Fair Work Commission and um, particularly under the OHS Act as well. They don't have those kind of powers. So um, even if you get an outcome, the courts, the Equal Opportunity Commission has no capacity to enforce... um, uh, a verdict. So employers have to come to the table voluntarily, basically. Um, and often the, the outcomes are very minimal. So women might get a payout, but it's, it's usually dismal and it definitely doesn't fix the trauma or the injury that's, that's happened to them. And it's very individualistic. So, but we're unions. Like you said, we're collectivists, right? We have collective solutions to problems. That's what we do. Our power is in our, in our collective. So the way we've been dealing with the past is antithetical. It doesn't make sense from a unit point of view. But when you start thinking about it as an occupational health and safety issue, what unions already, we already have a collective response to that. We say, no, OHS is union business. What we're going to do, if there's an unsafe piece of machinery at this site, we're going to shut it down. And then we're going to stand out the front and we're going to picket it until you fix it. And then we're going to call all our comrades and we're going to come in. And even if it's one guy that's lost his finger, the union doesn't say to that guy, oh, that really sucks. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to follow this process by yourself and we'll support you. No, they shut, they shut that shit down, excuse my language, and they, we collectively, we rise and we act. And so, and under the OHS Act as well, if we, once we consider this in an occupational health and safety frame, it gives us access to the Occupational Health and Safety Act, which is a lot stronger than the Equal Opportunity Act. It means that we can start putting provisional infringement notices, PINs, on, work, on employers, so which means that WorkSafe has to go and inspect. It means that we can actually enforce the duty of care that employers have. We've got some actually stronger tools and leverage to actually force employers to do this. Equal opportunity legislation doesn't allow us to do that. Um, so, so once we have we have access to that, but also once we put it in occupational health and safety and firmly within an industrial frame, which is where it belongs, all women's issues don't belong in an equal opportunity space. We know that inequality, gender equality is a reason, but don't sideline us. This is an industrial issue, and once we decide it's an industrial issue, or we recognise it as an industrial issue, we have access to the Fair Work Commission. 
we have access to other industrial legislation that's so much stronger than equal opportunity legislation. We can actually prevent this from happening to women and get some real outcomes. So that's probably what we need to do. The campaign looks like uh, this. So this is what our campaign looks like. We kind of have two strands. Strand one is about building unions' tool capacity and tools. Um, we have a whole bunch of stuff we're doing in there, including some training. There's all details in your pack about that. Um, and then the other... and that, So that's what we've been working a lot this year. Then the other part of this is it's about targeting workplaces and WorkSafe and employers to get them to do what we need to do to recognise this as a serious issue and take action. So we have what we call a gender violence safety crew. And there are a bunch of activists like yourselves who come together and done a whole bunch of stuff. Here's what's happened so far. So we've... Re- we released a report exactly, almost exactly a year ago, and this is where we released our report, where we actually started breaking down this raw chat data and talking about this as an issue. Um, we had a conference in March where we had 127 attendees, and we workshopped what we thought a campaign would look like. So we went to that conference and we said, hey, this is what we think this issue is, this is what we think a campaign looks like, and we spent that day with those 127 people getting feedback on that, work, on that campaign. So we basically wrote the campaign plan there. Um, then in April, the leadership of the Victorian Union Movement, which is the Victorian Trades Hall Council Executive, so all the unions are affiliated to Trades Hall, they endorsed it as a priority for the Union Movement, so they endorsed the campaign. So the Victorian Union Movement said this is a priority and we're going we're to commit to this. And then this, is, this was a really exciting thing. Um, so we, have an, we run an Anna Stewart Memorial Project, which is a leadership project um, for union women, and every year our wonderful, wonderful Annas have to come in and they have to plan a stunt and they have to take action. And they chose to do it on Stop Gender Violence. And at this point, we were having a conversation with WorkSafe, but they were fobbing us off. So they decided to do a, a stunt outside WorkSafe. And they came up with this idea of a gender violence safety crew. So they had hard hats and high beers and stop signs and traffic cones. Mm-hmm. And um, they did this action outside WorkSafe and they were handing flyers out and like stopping people and saying, whoa, hazard, gender violence. And, freaked the hell out of work, say. But, so it was very amusing. But after that, it was because of the action that those women and men took that WorkSafe said, okay, we need to talk. And they said, you've created a problem for us and now we need to solve this. <laughs> and so we have got commitments from WorkSafe. Um, basically, WorkSafe has committed to recognising gender violence as an occupational health and safety issue and they're going to write guidance material. That's the first step. And it's that guidance material that goes out to employers. They're committed to um, developing a training module to include in the HSR refresher training on gender violence so that HSRs understand this and have capacity. Um, where they're committed to doing a research piece with us so that we can look at the claims data that, of people who are making claims for um, OHS issues or incidences and look at what's going on because we expect there's massive gaps in WorkSafe's have claims. So we expect there's a lot of claims that are gender violence that aren't getting picked up as gender violence. So um, they're committed to that, and we're also pushing them to commit to um, ex- in, uh, training the entire inspectorate in gender violence so that when an inspector goes to a workplace, they know what they're looking for, they know how to appropriately identify gender violence and take action. Um, and we're looking for them to set up a um, in their call, their call centre, when you call through, you want them to set up a specialist gender violence person that can deal with this, that can identify gender violence when someone calls and make the appropriate referrals and, and address it appropriately. So that's a bunch of things we're doing with WorkSafe. Um, and the other aspect of it is this industrial frame, and we are in the process of writing a gender violence model enterprise bargaining clause. So like the family violence clause, this clause, you'll be able to negotiate into EBAs, and then workers will have actually 
a clause in an EBA, they'll have real rights that they can actually take and you could potentially take it to the Fair Work Commission. So that's what we're doing um, loosely. Um, so it'll be exactly one year since we released the report and we will be releasing the clause and we'll be workshopping the clause. So the clause was written collectively by our activists. So we didn't sit down and write the clause. We run a whole bunch of workshops and said, what does the clause look like? Women, workers and others. Um, and so this clause is written collectively. Everything we do is collective. Um, and we're going to be launching it there. Oh, um, so, is there any questions or anyone wants to continue? Thank you so much. Okay, that was part of a discussion looking at gendered violence as an OHS issue that took place at the Working Women's Get Organised conference held in November last year. So make sure you listen um, or tune in next Wednesday from 9am during City Limits time during the City Limits time slot, uh, where we'll bring you the full discussion. So thanks to Hope, Ayan, and MV for the recording. Okay, and next up uh, we have, we're going to get Shakira, Dr. Shakira Hussain on the line um, to share some thoughts on, uh, on gentrification in Melbourne's inner northern suburbs. Hi, Shakira. Hi, Sherazad. Um, Okay, so I quickly uh, came across on Facebook uh, uh, yesterday a a short doco um, with Amir Rahman uh, looking at – well, he interviewed a bunch of – uh, what do you call it? Small business owners in in Coburg um, and the underlying um, thing of his – of the short video of the short doco uh, was the gentrification of the area. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I live just on the Brunswick-Coburg border and I like this area the way it is. I like my current neighbours. I don't wish to see them displaced. Um, I have to say you can see that it's an area that's changing fast. There have been a lot of new apartment buildings um, go up just over the past 12 months. There's more slated to go up. I wonder whether gentrification, you know, looking at other suburbs, often goes with a dilution of the multicultural na- nature of those suburbs. The, the gentrifiers tend to be white gentrifiers. Looking at some of the new businesses that are opening up, though, they're actually, um, well, a lot of them are halal. Um, food outlets and uh, and quite a few upmarket modest fashion places opening as well as some closing. So I um, wonder whether it will be a multicultural gentrification that's underway, but that's just a guess really on my part and also a hope. Mm-hmm. Um. So you, you, you have been living in um, Brun- well near the Brunswick-Coburg border um, for, for, for quite a few years now. Um, how has it changed in the past few years? Well, as I said, um, mainly in the form of new apartments going up just over the past 12 months, um, a lot of the $2 shops closing down, which I don't tend to mourn so much, um, some of the older businesses also, though, um, also closing down. And, um, yeah. Mm. Ah. Some, yeah sorry, sorry. No, no. What, what, what do you feel? So 
you're you're really um, lamenting the beginning of gentrification of Coburg and Brunswick. What what do you feel are the main disadvantages of of the gentrification of these suburbs? What 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 what's the, the what are the negative impacts of this? Um, well, housing affordability for a start, rents going up, and um, driving people out who could live near the inner city. One thing I noticed in the block of apartments where I was living was a large number of people living in quite small units. Um, so it's not, I think, uniformly that it's wealthier people moving in as more as also still, but still some low-income people living there but not being able to afford to live. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, to to live very spread out, like so, and I quite, uh, um, and this is based on personal impressions, like large numbers of international students sharing, say, a two bedroom apartment. Well, when I say large, like or say international students sharing a two bedroom apartment, or four or five, and uh, um, in and entire extended families also in two bedroom apartments in some of the units that I'm living in in the block of units that I'm living in now, like grandparents, parents and offspring in two bedroom apartment in the two bedroom apartment next door to me, say. Mm. Um it doesn't so I suppose when when you you mentioned before, um when we talk about uh gentrification we're we're often talking about um sort of white gentrifiers uh, coming in Um, and uh, I remember speaking to you casually about this um, before um, in terms of sort of like urban planning uh, spaces so um, rather than um, plan for the new gentrifiers um, coming up with ideas to to plan um, with existing communities yeah, um, yes. this is um, something that um, urban planners have looked into is the way that sometimes existing communities will um, initiate and foster ways to make their neighbourhoods you know, um, more hospitable and 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 to provide better support services, like setting up neighbourhood services and um, and areas for families, but then the people who and and also and and the arts is often a big part of this, and that's been a factor in gentrification around the world. That it's sort of artists who don't have a lot of money will make an area more um, more interesting to live in, but that then attracts a wave of people who are consumers of art rather than producers of art of art who have higher incomes and then the artists are driven out and that's something we've seen like around the world and um yeah and, and it's difficult to know how to address this but urban planners have have considered this and found ways of fostering it where there's a kind of a, a buy-in by the local well, local councils obviously play an important role there, so that um, so that it can't just be um, then in, anyway um, taken over in that regard. But that's outside my area of expertise. Mm. 
But um, I, I think also of other areas that I have not, not as well, but where I have family, say, in London, and like, and the areas that um, has featured and a lot of people are familiar with through um, books and film is Brick Lane in in London, which has historically been the and like um, Coburg actually the first neighbourhood that migrants live in when they arrive because it's got because there's cheap housing and abundant employment and. That's another factor driving gentrification too is when those types of employers are no longer based in a suburb, then obviously it's going to be less attractive to people. You know, well, obviously their employees are not, um, just right on their doorstep anymore. And, and Brick Lane, now, but the one interesting thing about Brick Lane is that that, not so much Brick Lane itself, but that area around Brick Lane, although the, um, Bangladeshi community has been moved out to other suburbs it continues to be quite a Bangladeshi feeling neighbourhood because it's an area where there's still a lot of Bangladeshi shops and where Bangladeshis living further outside of London go back there to shop and to eat and to um, participate in that cultural life that still exists there I know whether that might be the case for Coburg as well that there are still such a lot of modest fashion shops and halal eating places there that people will return there even when they're living elsewhere in order to have a halal burger. There's a, you know, there's, there's a very hip halal burger joint um, that people I know when Muslim friends are visiting from Sydney, I'll see them on Facebook saying, what are you going to do when you're in Melbourne? I'll say, oh, let's meet up at Royal Stacks, you know, which is just a burger joint. But um, And, of course, like... There's halal McDonald's as well, but mm. um, in areas where there's a lot of Muslims, they do tend to be halal certified. But the kind of hip, upmarket, expensive in, um, burger joints that are also halal that are, are, um, are, are opening now as well, you know, that are in tune with that. And I also noticed that there's, um, besides the modest fashion shops that have been in this area for a long time there's now um the first outlet in australia of a pakistani um fashion joint um which is uh, which was in pakistan founded by uh um by a famous figure who started out as a junaid jamshed who started out as a rock star and then found religion and became more of a sort of a cliff richards religious singer and died in a, in a crank in a plane crash last year and who also founded a fashion joint their first outlet has just opened um just on the again on the brunswick coburg border and um to and my jump shed, to, is that? Yeah, yeah yeah and and to my knowledge and i might be wrong about this i think this is the first franchise of a modest fashion outlet to open in australia as opposed to local sort of um when I say modest fashion, I mean conforming to the needs of Muslim women who wear hijab. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just local branches, but the first, like, like, like so it's like a Muslim um, H&M, Shakira. can we say? Yeah. Sorry, really yeah. sorry to interrupt. We're just going to have to wrap up because we're rapidly running out of time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you okay. so much. Thank Take you care. so much. Okay, bye. bye. Okay, that was uh, Dr. Shakira Hussain um, sharing her thoughts on the gentrification of Melbourne's northern suburbs of uh, Coburg and Brunswick.
Um, next, we have Yale from Allies Decolonizing um, to speak to us about the Decolonize Now fundraiser. Good morning, Yale. Uh, well, we'll try and get her back uh, shortly. Um, so, uh, yeah. Good morning. Oh. Good morning. Hello. How are you? <laughs> thanks That's for coming good, on. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on. Do you want to tell us a bit about um, the fundraiser gig you've got on? Um, yep. So, a few of us have organised a fundraiser on the 20th on Saturday. Um, and the idea, we got together and we started talking about things that we can do in the lead up to Invasion Day um, and decided to put on a fundraiser so the money's going to go to organising costs um, of seven days of resistance and the Invasion Day rally here in Melbourne um, as well as sending up some money to the tent embassy in Canberra. Um Great. Um, so, um, who's who's playing? So, it's a multi-genre benefit gig. Um, so, who? So, wh- who's playing, and what are some of the acts, and what else is going to be there? Yeah, there's going to be like a really, I think, a really fantastic lineup of different, um, different people, different bands, different performers, and from a whole bunch of genres, from folk to rap to kind of noise punk. Um, Got a big West Papuan band playing that do kind of traditional West Papuan freedom fighting songs. Um, yeah, so some of the acts are Race Rage, um, B, who does kind of dark wave stuff, um, the Dissolve Shit, um, that's like a punk, punk noise duo, um, the Black Orchid String Band, uh, Glitter Rats are playing. Kushani Bard is playing. So yeah, it's quite a full lineup of different different talents. Yeah, um, and on the, on the event uh, page, it said that there were some zines and stuff on zines on sale. <laughs> I can't remember. I said zines. Um, <laughs> the zines um, on sale and stuff. Uh, well, what else is there going to be? Like food and stuff there? Or like? Yeah, so we've got there's going to be some West Papuan food for sale, um, and all the money from that goes into supporting the West Papuan campaign. Um, and yeah, we're going to have, so I guess, um, the idea is not just to have a gig where people come and pay some money and listen to music, but have it more as a community event where people can network and, and, um, yeah, really try and build, build this community, um, and our capacity to do stuff around supporting Indigenous sovereignty and, um, and decolonisation. So yeah, we're going to have a bunch of zines, um, and posters so people can come and grab posters to stick up around town for the Invasion Day rally. Um, yeah. Um, you mentioned it really briefly before, but what actually is the Seven Days of Resistance? Seven Days of Resistance is a, I guess you could say, campaign um, or like, yeah, campaign called by Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. Um and did it last year, so seven days, they've just called seven days of, of um, any kind of action um, in the lead up, so from the 20th till, <clears throat> till Invasion Day on the 26th, um, and encouraging people to do events, um, do talks, talk to each other, um, whatever, like creative interventions, um, yeah. 
whatever people want to do. But that's um, yeah, that's been the call out by war. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what about um, so the um, uh, that you're part of the Allies de- decolonizing? Could you tell us a bit about um, that? Yeah, um, I can. <laughs> I can. It's, uh, <laughs> it's quite an informal group. Um, so, um, what can I say about it? I mean, it started. I can't say much about it's, um, about how it was started, but um, because I wasn't around. But but I think a few people kind of started off. Uh, it was the idea of having study circles to for allies to come come together and um, so we'd read articles or we'd talk about specific kind of things that were happening um, specific to decolonisation and um, and allyship so to speak um, so yeah it kind of came out of that um, there was an allies decolonising kind of study study group that would meet up and then out of that there's been a few of us sort of um, Quite informally, so there's no actual group, but but just gone together and, and tried to organise um, events. So we had an event a couple of years ago. We have a Facebook page and trying to just disseminate information and, and publicise events and that kind of thing. Yeah, but this year we we thought we'd we'd do something, and and this event is one of the things that that we're doing. Um, cool, and I suppose um, what are the um, details for our listeners um, to about the event on Saturday? The details are it's um, Saturday from six to eleven pm um, in Richmond at the factory, which is nineteen to twenty one Belgium Avenue. Um, it's pretty close to public transport. It's uh, fifteen or ten dollars on the door, but no one's turned away. Um, so we just want people to come if you can if you can give money um, that's great there'll be a bar there'll be food there'll be music um, awesome yeah, and they can other? and they can find your uh, the event on Facebook yeah so if you go to um, allies Decolon- just yeah look for allies decolonizing on on Facebook um, yeah you can find the event there Awesome. Thank you so much, Elle, for talking to us about uh, the Decolonize Gig or Decolonize Now fundraiser on uh, Saturday. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Welcome back to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Up now, we're joined by Ruby and Tallulah and Billy talking about Girls Rock. So, Ruby, what is Girls Rock? Girls Rock was started in 2001 in Portland, in America, and um, we brought it over to Australia. The first camp was in Canberra, uh, and then we brought it down to Melbourne. So it's a music camp for 10 to 17-year-olds who identify as female, trans, or gender diverse, and the focus is... Uh, self-acceptance, using music as the medium and trying to encourage and create social change. Cool, sounds amazing. So Billy and Tallulah, you guys are both campers um, at Girls Rock. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing each day? Um, Well, on the first day we are formed into our bands and we are given the aim to um, write a song in 
five days, which is easier than expected. <laughs> um, and then on Saturday or Sunday or sometime during the weekend, um, we will perform it for cool. a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, it's we've like figured out band names and we've today we're printing band t-shirts so that's going to be really cool and um yeah it's been really great and i've really enjoyed it so So far what's the name of you guys' band um (laughs) um, mine is alphaveto which is greek for alphabet because um i'm half greek and so is our drummer cool um well, mine is violent pants <laughs> because um, <laughs> that was we put some names in a bag and we drew some out and that was what we came up with. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. So, are you guys learning instruments at camp as well? Can you? Um, I already knew a bit of guitar, but uh, yeah, I was assigned to play guitar for the week. Mm-hmm. Um, which there is instrument instruction, which is almost like a class, but we're more just going over. Things we don't know or things we want to change in our song. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kind of. Uh, there's some people that have never played the instruments that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm doing the vocal workshop. I know how to play guitar and playing guitar in a band, but I really wanted I wanted to take this like opportunity to learn more about my like vocals and how I can like improve that because like yeah, and I found it really helpful. Cool. So what's the most bestest thing that's happened at camp so far? (laughs) (laughs) I wonder. Um, I really like being assigned with the band for the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, a bit the same. I have really, really enjoyed working with my band. It's been really good. I've made some new friends. It's been like, you know, we work really well together and our bands are, yeah, like we've already done our song and it's just really fun yeah i really (laughs) love it cool um so ruby what's happening on saturday saturday we've got the showcase at the northcote social club uh so doors are at 1 30 and we'll probably wrap up at about 3 34 but if anyone is interested in coming down the show uh the campus sorry will all be performing their original songs live um at the NSC, which is going to be really awesome. And we'll also have um, zines that the campers have made available um, and some merch and things like that. So I i can't really put into words uh, what it feels like to be at a showcase. There's a lot of energy and emotion going around the room. So if anyone is considering coming, um, you definitely should because it's a pretty magical place to be. Um, so, you, so you just mentioned... Um Zines. Um, have you guys been involved in the zines as well? Uh, yeah, we made, we started um, a, a workshop yesterday on how to make them, but I think some of us already knew the general idea and were already creating colleges before. Oh, awesome. So um, do you have any ideas for your sort of zines that you want to do? Um, well, I did mine on, like, flower hair, and so I kind of put, like... I cut out little little like heads and different like eyes and stuff and then I put the hairs like flowers and like yeah all 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 different sorts of hair and it was all like flowers and it was pretty cool yeah <laughs> sounds gorgeous um mine are mainly comics but that's yeah 
will be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what sort of comics like? like? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I draw them myself or um, I cut out the stuff from magazines and then move it around. No. <laughs> um, Our um, zines yesterday were... Um, I was a bit distracted because we had Courtney Barnett come in Whoa. and that was... Hang on, and who else? And Jen Clara. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw her first, so... <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, so I'm sitting here really jealous of you guys, that you guys get to go to Girls Rock and have an amazing time. Um, and somebody told me that there was a camp for adults. Mm, is that there true? Is. Yeah, so um, it'll probably be held in June, July this year. Um, and so it's only three days instead of five days um, for 18 and over. Um, and again, we've got uh, full fee, half scholarship or full scholarships available. Um, so if anyone is interested, they can just jump onto our website, girlsrockmelbourne.com and get in contact with us. Cool. Um, so before we wrap up, Tallulah and Billy, is there anything else you want to say about your time at Girls Rock? Um, hmm. Not, not really. It's just such a great program, and it's really nice to see all of these people from just all around Melbourne and further all coming together with just, like, this one similar um, idea in mind and seeing people... Yeah, just completely different people become really good friends. It's really cool. Um, yeah, I really liked all the people here are like really nice, they're really diverse, they're really like accepting and you know, it's just really cool. Yeah. Cool. So thank you so much, um, for coming into the studio. So it's Ruby and Billy and Tallulah from Girls Rock and there's a show at the Northcote Social Club this Saturday where you can see all the bands that have been made during the week um, showing all their amazing talent. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Now, a fundraising event, 6 to 11pm, Saturday, 20th of January, at the Factory in Richmond. All funds will be of immediate use for the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance, in particular their seven days of resistance in the lead-up to Invasion Day, and travel costs to the Tent Embassy in Canberra. Performers include Racerage, Glitterats, Black Orchid String Band and more. Tasty West Papuan food will be available for purchase. Be there to show your support. Find it on Facebook, Decolonise Now, fundraising event. Saturday, 20th of Jan from 6 at the Factory, hosted by Allies Decolonising, who are a proud 3CR supporter. Sounds in this clip have been Racerage. Okay, so um, we're reaching the end of the show. Um, but just before we go, I just wanted to talk about an event that I'm really excited about, um, which starts tonight, or tonight's the opening night. Um, it's called Black Queer Futurism. So it's part of the um, Midsummer 
stuff that's going on at the moment. Um, it's at Black Dot Gallery, um, t- um, and I think goes on for for a few weeks. Um, so it reestablishes. So I'll just read a little bit about it. So Black Queer Futurism it reestablishes queer Indigenous speculative futures, um, not only from Australia but also um, abroad, um, and it draws upon resistance, knowledge, and spirit- spirituality coming from an Indigenous perspective. Um, so I think there's a bunch of different types of works. Um, the and the artists involved relay narratives attained through story, family, experience, country, and dreaming to actualize the future today, subverting the imperativity of popular futurist speculation. I mean, that sounds really interesting. Um, and yeah, so um, as I said, it's at Black Dot uh, Gallery at. Um, start, uh, it starts today at 6.30 is the opening night. Um, but it, the Black Dot Gallery is at 33 Saxon Street in Brunswick. Um, so yeah, I think, um, I think I'm going to try and come tonight slash go and see this stuff because I think a lot of the time when we, when we talk about, um, queerness in general, it's always, it's a, a lot of the time it's from a, like a, a white perspective and we always sort of, it, it's like it's, it, it's a, it's a white thing which, it, really isn't <laughs> it's a human thing <laughs> and um there's been uh queer narratives um from across the world um and from indigenous cultures um for a long long time mm. and it's interesting how like Christ- whiteness and christianity came to all these places and then kind of took over whatever was happening there and oppressed a whole bunch of people and then now suddenly queerness is white and like having to go at other cultures for not being queer enough or being homophobic and it's like hang on where did that come from in the first place and all that kind of stuff which is far more complicated than anyone ever talks about Mm. um so we had a really exciting show today guys yeah so what happened at the start Oh, what what did happen at the start? <laughs> I can't even remember. Uh, no, no. Well, we had um, so first up, we had Daniel Ajak, who's a criminal defence lawyer, um, and he appeared in the media um, about like showing like uh, being a, a mo- sort of model uh, citizen uh, with South Sudanese background, um, and he just talked about um, some of his perspectives um, on on this sort of stuff. Then we had. Scott Maguire, an academic from Melbourne Uni, talking about surveillance in public spaces. We also had Fred Gusha, who is the producer of um, Yellow Wheelam. An Indigenous music and arts festival coming up Saturday, 3rd of February. Don't miss it. Sounds amazing. Uh, and then we had a chat with Sh- Dr. Shakira Hussain about the gentrification in Melbourne's northern suburbs like Coburg and Brunswick. Um, and then we had a quick chat to Yale from Allies Decolonising about uh, the Decolonise Now fundraiser gig on Saturday in Richmond. And then we talked to Girls Rock, um, which is an amazing camp for teenage youngsters, teaching them music and putting them into bands, and it sounds amazing. Um, that's all we have time for. Friday breakfast is on tomorrow, and we'll be back next week. Thank you. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.